seriously uh, rutted out dirt road. If it wasn't for Google Maps, I wouldn't uh, exactly trust where I'm going here. In the middle of nowhere. Not really. Definitely somewhere, but know where this Florida boy's ever been. That's for damn sure. Wow, holy cow. Not much to this. Crazy. Open field, small, smaller than an acre. Another boulder with founder's burial ground carved into it. There's two large monuments. One's pink marble, one's just like gray marble. Granite, I don't know what it is. Erected AD 1881 by a descendant of the first settlers of Nantucket in memory of those whose remains are buried on this hallowed spot where stood the first church gathering here in 1711. Since, since removed to where it now stands as the mystery of the first congregational society, 1609, Tristram Coffin, 1681, Tristram Coffin, Thomas Macy, Edward Starbuck, Peter Folger, John Gardner, John Swain Jr., John Coleman, Richard Gardner, Christopher Hussey, and William Buckner. Those are all the founding fathers of Nantucket. So the other one, the pink granite one, says, erected AD 2009 to honor Nantucket's wives, mothers, and children on the 350th anniversary of the English settlement on the island, 1613. Dinah Stevens Coffin, Sarah Hopcott Macy, Catherine Reynolds Starbuck died in 1658, Mary Morell Folger, Priscilla Grafton Gardner, Experience Folger Swain, Joanna Folger Coleman, Sarah Shattuck Gardner, Theodore Batchelder Hussey, Mary Macy Buckner. These women bore a total of 80 children among the English women laid to rest on this hilltop were the foremothers of many generations of offspring who have peopled the island since 1659. There's one lone headstone over here. Here lies buried the body of John Gardner, estimated age 82, who died in 1706. All right, let's see what's next. Moving on. So I'm at Prospect Hill Cemetery Extension. So I'm here in sort of an unassuming place. It is the uh, Indian Burial Grounds, as it's called, in Nantucket, Massachusetts. 
the Quaker Cemetery, Old North Cemetery, Prospect Cemetery, Historic Colored Cemetery here in Nantucket. It's the only African-American cemetery in Nantucket. And yes, it's called the Historic Colored Cemetery. Listeners, good to be back recording again from Gainesville, Florida Massive. This is Nigel Rudolph coming at you once again, Public Archaeology Coordinator for the Florida Public Archaeology Network Central Region. Welcome to another episode of the Materialist Podcast. If you are just joining me for the first time, the Materialist Podcast is a place where I talk about the importance of material culture, all the stuff we surround ourselves with day to day, and how objects have agency. The overall question the podcast tries to dig into for each and every episode is, do objects have agency? You hire me? What an adventure I went on this summer, y'all. Um, I know I touched on it briefly in the last episode I released while I was up there, but now I am back and I can process my time there at the Preservation Institute Nantucket. What an adventure. I didn't really even know what I was getting into when I showed up that afternoon, my initial day there at the University of Florida's Mid-Island Student Housing. Though I'd never been to New England, I thought it was really odd that I met people that had never been to Florida. <laughs> so that was weird. Um, so this episode, ladies and gentlemen, I was going to do a wrap-up of my time in Nantucket, and then I will never mention Nantucket ever again. <laughs> If you have never been, it's a very interesting place, some beautiful architecture, some beautiful landscapes, but the summer crowd, um, wow, the mega rich take their rest and relaxation very, very seriously. So many rich peoples. I saw some celebrities, though, so that was really cool. Big shout out to Sadie Sink, Michael Rappaport, and that one dude from Ozark, Jim, the lawyer, the crooked lawyer. <laughs> so... As I've created a cemetery niche here with my work with FPAN here in Florida, I wanted to continue that work on my adventure in Nantucket. There are a total of nine cemeteries in Nantucket Island, including one Native American burial area and one black cemetery. My initial thoughts were to cover the indigenous burial ground because of the history of the indigenous people and the relationship with the English colonizers is actually really interesting. But then after touching base with the Wampanoag representatives... I thought it was best to leave that interpretation of their site up to them. So my focus moved then to the one African-American cemetery on the island. The Nantucket Black experience is also a fascinating story to tell. What really caught my attention, however, was the differences and similarities to the Black cemeteries I've been studying here in Florida in the South. Specifically, I was looking to compare and contrast the historic colored cemetery, a.k.a. the Mill Hill Cemetery in Nantucket, with the Bethlehem Methodist Episcopal Cemetery here in Archer, just west of Gainesville. 
So rather than just rambling on about this, I thought I would just read my presentation. Now, it might not be as cohesive as it was during the presentation because I can't put pictures in a podcast, but I will add some hip background music that will really tie the room together. So presenting Grave Assumptions, A History Through Characters. As a researcher of history, I strive to confront the intrinsic assumptions I make about different times and places. As an archaeologist, I recognize how assumptions can lead to misreading of material culture and a misinterpretation of real people's lives. As a historical interpreter, I have an obligation to present the truth without prejudice, both for the education of the public and the representation of the stakeholders' needs. I must attempt to speak their truth without bias or provide a platform for them to speak to these misinterpretations. This is often easier said than done. Before starting this program, I made assumptions about historic African-American life here in Nantucket and my misinterpretations were rooted in the traumas I have grown accustomed to encountering in my research of the human stories of antebellum and segregated Florida. Therefore, I've titled my presentation, Grave Assumptions, in an effort to concede my own bias and acknowledge the stories carved in the stone hidden beneath the lichen. I'm very fortunate to be friends with a multimedia artist in Archer, Florida, Dr. Quincheku Ngozi. She created Illumination in Darkness, an ongoing cemetery-rooted photo painting art project. I spoke with her recently about my work in Nantucket, and she passed along a wonderful thought regarding my cemetery work. She said, quote, Telling people's stories is holding on to their history as well as their journey. Their journey can reflect our own story one day. So on that thought, my semester project for PIN 2022 builds off case studies done on the cemeteries of Nantucket in 1974 and in 1985. Though limited in scope, both case studies provided necessary documentation of these sacred spaces. A case study by 1974 PIN alum Robbie Cangalosi from the University of Florida was an overview of all the cemeteries in Nantucket and provided a basic summary of their history and notable figures interred. With this research as a foundation, my project narrows the scope to a single site, the African American Cemetery, also known as the Historic Colored Cemetery. It is located near the historic Five Corners, the center of early African American life on the island. Following the lead of Kangalosi's work, I highlighted the history of this cemetery by illustrating the lives of a few notable individuals buried there. By including this narrative, I am able to juxtapose the Nantucket African-American narrative with that of African-Americans in the small town of Archer, a historic railroad town 30 minutes west of Gainesville, Florida, where I've conducted similar research. My goal is to help the listener recognize how these histories vary, yet ultimately share too many woeful qualities. The previous documentation by Preservation Institute Nantucket of the African-American burial ground has been minimal to this point and concluded with less than a typed page of history and a report on conditions. I've expanded on this work by providing a deeper historical context to the cemetery and noting its stable and laudable physical conditions. So where do we go from here? What is next for the cemetery? 
Publicly accessible, informative signage could provide missing pieces that are vital in communicating a complete history. This is something that the beautifully preserved headstones cannot reveal on their own. However, historical markers and signage are not enough, and it's not for me or the Cemetery Commission to say what direction public interpretation should take. The primary stakeholders, the descendants, should have the strongest voice. The Nantucket Historical Association's detailed archive and online database have been a fruitful resource in constructing the northern end of my narrative. According to the NHA, the first mention of Mill Hill Cemetery was in the Nantucket Registry of Deeds, Proprietor Records, 1805. So let me cut in real quick here. The image that corresponds with this part of the talk is an excerpt from the historic town document provided by the Nantucket Historical Association. It reads, quote, the black people may fence in one acre of land where their burying place is, and the lot layers measure it to them. On the third day of sixth month, 1805, quote, then measured where the black people's burying place is from a rock to the southwest of where they have buried eastward 12 and one half rods from thence northward 12 and one half rods from thence westward 12 and one half rods from thence southward 12 and one half rods to said rock containing one acre, which was granted to the black people to fence in for a burying place by the proprietors as by a vote on record will appear <laughs> end quote for those curious about what the hell a rod is an old english measure of distance equal to 16.5 feet with variations between 9 and 28 feet which makes no freaking sense but anyways So what is unusual about all this? This would most likely never have happened in the South, especially in 1805. It was another 60 years before the shackles that bound the enslaved African-Americans of Archer were legally allowed to fall to the ground. In Nantucket, however, the bonds were officially removed nearly eight decades before emancipation under President Lincoln. Then to have a small town government provide under a decree an acre of land for those so recently removed from enslavement? A formalized location to sanctify for the burial of their loved ones? I had never heard of such a thing. John Salient writes in his essay, Racism, Nationalism, and the End of the Nation of Nantucket, that following the War of 1812, white Nantucketers began to view themselves as not only Nantucketers, but New Englanders. An identity that allowed for a distinct perspective of African Americans that contrasted with the South. They, white Nantucketers, could, quote, claim moral leadership of the nation in the antebellum years. Rather than an incorrect assumption, this perspective appears to be far more of an issue of selective memory. To paraphrase John Salient, this was either a denial of the presence of the enslavement of African Americans in New England or a willful disregard for the severity of the institution. This myth continues to this day under the name of the benevolent slave owner. If you owned another human being as you would a tool, there is no benevolence. There is only violence. Salient continues that local newspapers began to utilize the power of the written word to create, quote, new degrading ways of representing black people as incompetent, childlike, bestial, or innately inferior, end quote. The racist rhetoric that was pervasive and entrenched in the opinion that if African Americans could no longer be enslaved, then they should leave the island altogether. 
Around 1855, Reverend Major Reddick, who we believe was a free person of color, his wife Daphne Robinson Reddick, and their three children moved from Early County, Georgia, to Deer Hammock, a small frontier village that became Archer. According to federal and Alachua County records, Major Reddick applied for a homestead grant of 40 acres in 1862, a year following Florida's secession from the Union. Reddick, who worked as a pastor, farmer, and later a merchant, was awarded his requested 40 acres in 1875 during Reconstruction in Florida. Around this time, Major Reddick donated one acre of his land to a group of trustees, including two of his sons, to establish the Bethlehem Methodist Episcopal Church. Burials in the church cemetery began. Obviously, there are distinct differences in the physical environment between Nantucket and Florida. Archer cemeteries, like many cemeteries throughout Florida, are naturally forested. The massive oaks that now populate cemeteries like the BMEC are the primary cause of so much damage. Luckily, this isn't an issue at the African American Cemetery in Nantucket. This environmental difference is central to the distinct preservation needs each cemetery calls for. As the Nantucket Cemetery does not call for physical conservation due to environmental damage, there is opportunity to expand interpretation of the site. Public interpretation of intangible history is the other side of the preservation coin and needs equal attention. The material culture of the grave markers themselves is a testament to the range of the African-American experience north to south. Back in February of this year, journalist Cole Calhoun wrote an article titled How African-American Cemeteries Are Lost, Found, and Protected for Getty News. He writes, quote, Cemeteries are hallowed ground to descendant communities and can reveal details about historic events, settlement patterns, and demographic makeup of communities, end quote. This is the case for both Nantucket's Colored Cemetery and the Bethlehem Methodist Episcopal Cemetery, or BMEC, in Archer. In Archer, many of the original head, many of the original headstones placed at burial are vernacular concrete markers. These were most likely made on site or at home by family members. These are my favorite. They are a window into the socioeconomics of the family and the community. Inexpensive to make, many include inscriptions carved with a nail or stick. Often a grain pattern can still be seen left by the wood they used to frame the poured slurry. Vernacular stones also provide a wide range of design options. However, concrete, though a durable material when mixed and set properly, can deteriorate and stain quickly. Concrete is extremely absorbent and exposure to moisture without the capacity for that moisture to leave the stone can lead to serious issues. Deterioration of the reinforcement material such as iron or steel and deterioration of the inappropriate aggregate material can also lead to deep cracks, spalling, or complete fracture. One concern that is rarely an issue in Archer, but often a cemetery preservationist's worst nightmare in the North, is the impacts of the freeze-thaw cycle on porous materials such as the white marble used for most of the stones present at the Colored Cemetery in Nantucket. However, despite their age, the stones are in excellent condition. Only a few of the visible grave markers are fractured. This is a fact that highlights one of the distinct differences between the two case studies. The conditions of the historic colored cemetery on Nantucket perhaps spotlight how the socioeconomics of a small island community well north of the Mason-Dixon line vary from the agrarian African-American community in the Deep South. 
Conceivably an obvious difference when viewed via the living, but when seen through the lens of material culture, the grave markers themselves, the distinction becomes less apparent. But, case in point, these burial grounds are a window into the intricacies of not only micro-level but macro-level societal reflections of race and bigotry. Really quick, let me provide some time period context to the narrative. In 1817, Arthur Cooper, who I will introduce in my next slide, was still enslaved in Virginia. General Andrew Jackson and Commander Edwin P. Gaines, the city of Gainesville, Florida's namesake, illegally crossed into Spanish territory of Florida to attack and destroy a Spanish-sanctioned fort on the Apalachicola River in the Florida Panhandle known as Negro Fort. This fortification was held by the formerly enslaved as well as their Seminole Indian allies. Nearly 300 men, women, and children were killed, and the first Seminole War in Florida began. Barbara Ann White, author of A Line in the Sand, The Battle to Integrate Nantucket Public Schools in 1825 to 1847, and several other books and essays has written extensively about the life of Arthur Cooper. According to White, Arthur Cooper arrived on Nantucket in 1820 after fleeing enslavement in Richmond, Virginia. Nearly 30 years before the passing of the 1850 Fugitive Slave Act, slave hunters slithered into Nantucket seeking to recover Cooper and his family to return them to captivity under the slave owner David Ricketts. The free African-American community and abolitionist Quakers, including the well-known Gardner family, were able to protect the Cooper family from capture. Quote, Arthur Cooper went on to become a leader on Nantucket, eventually a founder of the Zion Methodist Episcopal Church. End quote. Cooper died in 1853. One of the most notable narratives from the BMEC is that of Julianne Sams. At age 14, she was kidnapped from her family, roped and put up for bid on the auction block in Jackson, Mississippi. She was bought by 22-year-old James M. Parchman in 1839, then tied together with hundreds of others and forced marched barefoot to Archer, Florida. A journey of nearly 600 miles that took close to six months. She was separated from her family, whom she never saw again. According to Lizzie Polly Robinson Jenkins, author of Alachua County, Florida, an edition of the Black America series, Julianne was raped multiple times during the journey and she witnessed others in the coffle being taken by animals as they rested at night. Miss Jenkins is the great, great granddaughter of Julianne Sams. Quote, not until I wandered into the firehouse one day back in the 1950s and spied the designation Colored Cemetery on the town map hanging on the wall did I realize distinctions that should have been apparent to me all along. That was Isabel Carter Stewart. Frances Cartoonin writes about the Carter family in her acclaimed book, The Other Islanders. The Carters were the first African-American family to become summer residents on Nantucket during the second decade of the 20th century. Isabel Carter Stewart, a former trustee with the Nantucket Historical Association and granddaughter to John and Mabel Carter, who are buried in the historic colored cemetery, was present at the unveiling of the new cemetery plaque in 2007. A depth of history regarding African Americans in Nantucket demands continued research and continued connection to the descendants of those buried in the cemetery. 
A difference between the two cemeteries is public and visible interpretation. The BMEC has invested in a major effort to provide historic interpretation to the public. These reside in the form of a large modern memorial with the names of all those in marked graves and a truncated history engraved in the stone. A state of Florida historical marker will hopefully be installed this winter. This was possible because the descendant community is still present in Archer. Many of those freed from enslavement in 1865 stayed and carved out a life undeterred by Jim Crow and the Ku Klux Klan, whose focus was to dehumanize and disparage. What impacted so many black cemeteries in the South didn't come to play in Archer, not because of coincidence, but because of grit. In comparing these African-American cemeteries and the people buried in them, this project has underlined the unique black experience on Nantucket Island. As distinctive as it is, however, an undercurrent flows below both locations. Both the BMEC in Archer and the Historic Colored Cemetery in Nantucket bested that prejudiced undercurrent and, at present, are safe and in good condition. A dome of perpetual protection surrounds neither location, however, and continued conservation and documentation is required. These grave markers are often the only remaining physical evidence that these people ever existed on this earth. For the formerly enslaved, this is particularly true. Their persistence to create a thriving community in the face of obstacles that bogged down and broke many on both sides of the Mason-Dixon line is inspirational. We must recognize those planted in these sacred spaces are connected to the town as much as the living. In closing, many factors contributed to the terrible issue of abandoned and erased African-American cemeteries in the South, the Great Migration, systemic inequities, plain old homegrown anti-black violence, Nantucket's abolitionist fervor, and historic inclusion of African-Americans and people of color is commendable and unique when compared to other parts of the United States, to be sure. However, one of the many things I have learned during my time here in Nantucket is that following the decline of whaling, many residents of African descent left the island. So how does this impact the narrative? In contrasting the BMEC with the Historic Colored Cemetery, preservation and protection efforts have worked well at BMEC partially because descendants sit on the board. They work with other stakeholders on community outreach and public interpretation. This is something Nantucket could take away from the juxtaposition with the BMEC as a case study. But what then can the BMEC glean from the comparison? Written and stated perpetual care. To quote from the Nantucket Cemetery Commission website, quote, provide for the maintenance in perpetuity, end quote. BMEC and most African-American cemeteries throughout the state of Florida do not have this advantage. Perpetual care is huge. The preservation of historic cemeteries is a vital way to protect the intangible heritage in our communities north and south. It's great to see how Nantucket protects its sacred cultural resources. Looking again at the assumptions I made regarding not only the conditions of the African-American cemeteries of the North, but also the fable that despite the early emancipation of the enslaved and Nantucket's support of the people of color that lived and died there, the foul undercurrent of bigotry was ever present.
So that was my final project presentation for the Preservation Institute in Nantucket. Now, the history of African-Americans in Nantucket and Archer can't be summed up in a 15-minute talk, right? That wasn't at all my objective to tell a detailed story. There's lots of information about both places, so I encourage everybody to go out and re research these histories. Um, or, or email me, holler at me, and I will be more than happy to go into detail. These stories and the Black experience of both locations go much deeper than I was able to articulate articulate in my allotted time slot. So believe it or not, I actually experienced a little bit of pushback on my presentation because it was thought that I portrayed Nantucket's black history more negatively than it actually was. Well, I didn't. <laughs> All it took was some reading and you very quickly realize that there are far more similarities than differences in my juxtaposition of the northern and southern experiences. The colonizers of New England, of Florida, of lands from sea to shining sea, don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to the treatment of those of African descent. There is no benevolence in slavery or genocide. Sorry to break it to those who put the Quakers up on a pedestal in Nantucky as far as how modern Nantucket shows respect for their African-American heritage. There's way more than the whaling years, folks. Make black history a presence on the island. Bring attention to it. Hiding it doesn't protect it from vandalism. That's ridiculous. Hiding it continues the marginalization. Anyways, there are great books out there if you are interested in learning more about Florida black history. I would recommend A History of Florida Through Black Eyes by Marvin Dunn. If you're interested in Nantucket's black history, check out Nantucket's People of Color Essays on History, Politics, and Community, edited by Robert Johnson, or Black Activism Before the Civil War by Barbara White. Just Google Barbara White Nantucket and you'll find lots of fascinating articles that she's written. Uh, it was a pleasure to meet Barbara um, and I hope to work with her in the future. And I'll try to link to all this stuff in the show notes, of course. I presented with all the Penn students just a couple of weeks ago, so I'll find the link to that Zoom recording and get that in the show notes as well. Um, I had a good experience in Nantucket. It's not Florida, that's for sure, but it was a good experience. Nearly seven weeks on that little ass island, 30 miles off the coast of Massachusetts. I'm glad I did it, but I'm glad I ain't there anymore. Back home with my family is a good place to be. All that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we will be coming at you with another episode in the near future without mention of the gray lady. I appreciate everyone listening and hollering at me if you have any suggestions for topics. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and Spotify, as well as Instagram and Facebook. Like us and share. We would love more social media interaction, so give me a shout. Um, and if you holler at me, I will give you a shout-out. You can reach me by email at materialistpodcast at gmail.com. That's materialistspodcast at gmail.com. Huge thank you to USF and the USF Department of Anthropology. As always, thank you to FPAN Regions. If you would like more info on FPAN, you can go to fpan.us. Intro music, Silver in the Age of Opulence, used by permission by the amazing Have Gun Will Travel. For more information about them, uh, they have a Facebook page, HGWT Music, and a website, hgwtmusic.com. Um, that's about it. Uh, if you would like me to cover anything, like I said, give me a shout, and I will um, you know, try to cover it. Uh, read the show notes. Uh, there's lots of information in there. And um, that's it. We'll catch you all on the flippity flip. 
Seems to me to be 